Well, let's start in Hebrews chapter 4 this evening. Hebrews chapter 4. The, to get a little bit of context for some verses that we'll uh, start with. The third chapter of Hebrews is uh, uh, the author, I believe it was Paul, but whoever it was was inspired by the Holy Ghost. It goes into great detail to tell us about what happened in the um, early days of Israel's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. You remember they came to the promised land and, and didn't go in. Uh, the, the third chapter of Hebrews talks about that. It talks about why they didn't go in. They had an evil heart of unbelief. And it's a warning for modern-day Christians not to follow their pattern of unbelief, but instead to take hold of the blessings of God through faith. So with that in mind, let's start in chapter 4 and verse 1. The author says, Let us therefore fear. That doesn't mean be afraid of something like you'd be afraid of a snake or something like that. It means to have respect, give attention to. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's just King James English way of saying, make sure that you claim every promise that belongs to you. Verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, talking about Israel that went into the wilderness for 40 years. For unto us is the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed to enter into his rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The last part of verse 3 is a little bit uh, misleading in the way that it's interpreted. Uh, Other translations say it this way. For we which have believed to enter into rest, even as it was spoken in my wrath, you shall not enter into my rest. That's talking about the children of Israel that had disobeyed God and rebelled by saying we can't do what God said we can do in the land. Uh, The inhabitants of the land are too great for us. Well, that's where it's talking about God swore in his wrath, you shall not enter in. But then notice the last phrase of verse 3. It says, although the, founda- although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. In other words, that's God telling us that the plan was set and established, put in place for the children of Israel to go into the promised land before the worlds were founded. It was part of God's original plan. But they detoured God's original plan by their unbelief. And that's the warning. Don't be like them. Don't forfeit the blessings of God through unbelief because no matter what it looks like, and you remember the story in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13, the people saw the giants in the land. They saw the walls around the cities. They saw everything that was good, but they saw everything that was bad. And they concluded in their own mind, we can't do it. The people are stronger than we are. Yet the Bible is telling us that God's plan for them to take the promised land, the land that they thought was too great to take hold of and take possession of, was already finished before the world ever was formed. It was God's plan and purpose, but they forfeited God's plan. Now notice the first part of verse 3 again. It says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. The word rest is an interesting word because it really means abiding place. It means the place where you live. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, when he was tempted of the devil to turn the stones into bread, said in verse 4, He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God expects us to live by his word. The Bible also tells us, Paul wrote to the the church at uh, Corinth and said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, if you're living by the word, you'd have to walk by faith, wouldn't you? 
You'd have to accept to be true what God said in spite of the circumstances or the appearance of things around you. He, this is one reason why I believe Paul is the author of this letter. He says the same thing in different words. He says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. Now notice that phrase, we which have believed. He doesn't say which, we which do believe. He says we which have believed. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. We've got the story in Matthew chapter 8 of the centurion that comes to Jesus. We'll start reading in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that, that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to this man, come, and he comes. And to one of my servants, I say, do something, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, talking about the Jews that reject him, shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now notice verse 13. Then Jesus says to the centurion, Go your way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Notice he did not say, as you do believe. He says, as thou hast believed. Now, dealing with people that uh, they come to be ministered to for healing and, and so forth over the years, there are things that you pick up on and things that, uh, well, maybe we should say characteristics of faith that you identify that are necessary for people to take hold of the promises of God. It's obvious that just because God has promised something or just because Jesus has purchased, purchased it for us is not a guarantee that everybody's going to take hold. That's what Hebrews 4.3 was trying to say. God had made provisions for the children of Israel to take hold of the promised land, but they didn't. He had made provisions from the foundations of the world for them to enter into the promised land, but they didn't. So it can't be just a matter of what God's will is. The word reveals to us what his will is in concerning healing the sick. It's to always heal because Jesus paid for it. But that's no guarantee that people are going to take hold of it. I guess maybe another way to say it, maybe a better way to say it is there's a Godward side to you receiving your healing and there's a manward side. It's not all God and it's not all you. You've got your part to play and God's already played his part. But notice again what he told the centurion, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. So many times people have the idea that the healing power of God is something that's at the disposal of a healing evangelist or some kind of minister. Maybe they've been even having a special anointing to minister to the sick. And if I could just get to that healing minister, then I could get healed. But very rarely does it work out that way. Other times, in other situations, people will see what the Bible says. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. List five things, and one of them being they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so they think, if I can just get somebody to lay hands on me, then that will be enough. And oftentimes it's not. Folks, I need to tell you something, and that is laying hands on the sick is not a guarantee of healing. 
It's just not. Now, the reason it's not, well, first of all, we know that it's not because not everybody that has hands laid on receives their healing. If laying hands on the sick was God's method or God's vehicle or God's agent of healing every time, then it would always work. But it doesn't. Why doesn't it? Well, just as I believe Paul said in Hebrews chapter 4, the word preached to to Israel didn't profit them because there was no faith mixed with it. What does that mean? That means that laying hands on the sick is nothing more than a point of contact for faith to be released. Notice again in in, uh, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said to the centurion, as you have believed, he's already believed something. He's already released his faith. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. We know that the Bible tells us several things about faith. First of all, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it tells us that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13 that we have the same spirit of faith as God. According as it is written, we believe and therefore have we spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. In other words, it's telling us that you've got a measure of the same kind of faith that God has. Every believer does. You remember in Mark chapter 11, as a matter of fact, once you turn to Mark chapter 11, we'll use this for an example. Mark chapter 11, when the disciples question him about the change that's taken place in the fig tree, Jesus responds in verse 22 and says, have faith in God. Now that's a, um, well, I started to say it's a little bit blind to us in the way that it's translated, but there's, there's really no perfect translation of that. Except one thing that, that the King James translators miss. The word that's translated in is literally of. Have faith of God. And as a result, some translations expand on that. The faith of God would be the God kind of faith. But it's saying something very specific and very important for us to realize. And that is, you've got the same kind of faith in a measure that God had when he created the world's. same faith not to the same measure of course God deals to every man a measure of faith what you do with that measure is entirely up to you Paul wrote to the, to the Thessalonians and said commended them because their faith grew exceedingly and the love of each of them toward each other abounded in other words he's commending them because their faith was growing and their love was growing well then faith has to be able to grow then because they were growing it In the same way, love has to be able to grow. Your faith can grow. And the way your faith grows is by meditating on the word, feeding on the word, and utilizing your faith. But you know as well as I do that one of the hardest places to hold steady is when you believe that you receive something. Because that's when the devil, once you release your faith, Jesus talked about releasing his faith, us releasing our faith, in two ways. Verse 23, he talks about faith By speaking to the mountain in verse 24, he talks about faith through prayer. Either way will work. But once you release your faith, then what do you do? Then what do you do? I want you to back up a little bit in Mark chapter 11. And let's read the whole story of what this pertains to. Verse 12 
It says that on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came to it. He came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. In other words, this is a non-producing fig tree. It's got leaves on it like it should have, but it doesn't have any fruit. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now notice how the Bible speaks of that. It says Jesus answered it. Did the tree pose a question? No, it shows us the example of Jesus who answers the circumstances of his life by speaking the word. Skip with me down to verse 20. It says, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. Now let me pose a question to you. What did Jesus do between the first time he passed the tree and cursed it and the next morning when it was withered and dried up from the roots? What did Jesus do? Or maybe let me ask you it in a different way. What if it took three days to die? What would Jesus have been doing during those three days? What if it took a week for the tree to show that it was dead? What would Jesus have been doing? See, folks, you've got to find the place of rest. You've got to find the place to live between I believe I receive and there it is. How do you do that? Well, remember again, verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 4, we which have believed do enter into rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. The point of contact is everything when it comes to the operation of faith. Because the devil will try to keep you looking to the future to get you hoping that God will do something down the road. But that's not the kind of faith that receives. Jesus said the kind of faith that receives through prayer is identified in Mark chapter 11 verse 24. Therefore I say to you, what things soever you desire. Well, if you're sick, you certainly desire to be well, don't you? So it would include healing for the physical body. What things soever you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive it. See, that's what the centurion did in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion has already put his faith out. He's already believed because of his understanding about authority, obviously, as he explains to Jesus. He already believes. If I can just get Jesus to speak the word, my servant will be healed. His faith is already released. It's out of his hands. All he needs is for Jesus to speak the word. And Jesus marvels at that kind of faith. He marvels at the kind of faith that puts the responsibility back on God to honor his word. Because that's the kind of faith that receives. So Jesus, after explaining how great faith this is and how astonished he is, surprised that he didn't find it among the Jews, but but from this Gentile centurion. He says, as you have believed, so be it done unto you. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. There's a very important line of distinction to draw between when you believe you receive and when you see the results. 
God's intent is for us to find that place of rest, that place where we live, where we say it's done according to the word of God. I don't want to say it's a rare thing, but it's not a common thing. Unfortunately, it's not a common thing to find somebody that comes for prayer to receive their healing that believes something's already been done. See, folks, the Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses, and with his stripes you were healed. As far as God is concerned, from God's perspective and in the mind of God, healing is already reality. It's already accomplished. It's already been paid for. All that's left to be done is for us to receive it. But how many people do you know of? I would dare say we all know of somebody. In our Christian walk, in our daily experience, we all know of somebody that's looking for something to be done by God the Father. We've even got church doctrine, not this church, but modern day church doctrine that has the idea that if God wants you to be well, then he'll do something. Well, folks, I've got news for you. The Bible says God wants you to be well, and he's already done something to make that a reality. To make that a reality. You've got a measure of the kind of faith that created the worlds. But in my experience, the thing that trips most people up is time. They're not prepared for the onslaught of the enemy that tells them if God had really done it, if something had been done for to provide for your healing, you'd already have it. It gets people looking at the having it instead of their part, believe they receive it. To believe that they receive it. To believe that they receive it. There are numerous examples that we could give of people well let's just use one in Jesus Jesus ministry here on the earth you remember the story of the ten lepers they came to Jesus and they cried out to him thou son of David have mercy on us Jesus just simply says go show yourself to the priest now they understand what that means all the Jews uh, of that day would there were very specific instructions given in the book of Leviticus that identify what a leper is to do in presenting himself to the priest when he's been healed. There's a ritual that he has to go through, a series of inspections, if you will, so that the priest can examine the man that was leprous, now claiming to be free, to make sure that somebody doesn't just try to come back into society, lie about their situation, And therefore infect others with leprosy. So when Jesus says go show yourself to the priest. That can only mean one thing. There's only one reason that a leper would ever go before a priest. And that is to show. Provide proof of his healing. And the Bible says they turned and they went. And as they went the Bible says. They were healed of leprosy. One of them turns around and gives glory to God. And Jesus questions where are the other nine. Are you the only one that's come back to thank me for what I've done? And then he says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I've always looked at that as the man that came back to glorify God and to thank Jesus for what he did got something more than the other nine did. 
That may have included the recreation of different body parts that the leprosy could have eaten away. But that's just my thought. That may not be what was involved, but at least Jesus identified that he did the right thing by coming back. So here's the question. When were they healed? In the mind of God, they were healed when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. But even in Jesus' ministry, healing was not always instantaneous. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there was a long period of time in between when Jesus spoke to the lepers and when they were healed, when they obtained the healing that they were looking for. They were still close enough for, uh, within earshot of Jesus because one turned around and thanked, God, thanked him for the healing that he received on the spot. So it didn't take long, but there was a matter of time between when Jesus spoke and when they received. If that period of time between when you believe you receive your healing and when you have your healing is an extended period of time, that seems to me, in my experience, personal experience, that seems to me the place where most people either give up or give themselves over to worry and it stops the operation of healing in their body. We which have believed, have believed, have believed, not do believe. We which have believed do enter into rest. There's got to be something, some point of contact that you can go back to, whether it's having hands laid on you, whether it's praying the prayer of faith, whether it's speaking to the mountain, whichever one it is. There's got to be some point in time when you can look back to and say, that's when I received my healing. That's when I released my faith. It's working now because I released my faith then. What happens in many cases is people judge their they judge their healing, they judge their physical situation on what they see and they feel. And it causes them, through the influence of the devil, the words of the devil, speaking down into their ears, it causes them to think, well, I must not have gotten it yet. I must not have released my faith. I must not have gotten a hold of it because I don't see any difference in my body. But that's what Hebrews 4 is talking about. We which have believed do enter into rest. I like one, one person's definition of faith, uh, one of the dictionary definitions of faith. It says it's unquestioning trust. Unquestioning trust. Most people are defeated by their questions. But when you're out of questions, when there's no more place for questions, that's when you know that you believe you received. Notice the centurion did come to Jesus and say, now I've got some questions about this. I understand authority. But I've got some questions about this. How is this going to work and when is it going to work? He didn't pose any questions. He just said, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. That's all I need, just the word. Well, is Jesus' word more valuable when he spoke it in person on the earth than the word that he's spoken to us? It's the same Jesus. It's the same word. What makes it more valuable in his day? And you know as well as I do that a lot of people have taken the position that if I was only alive when Jesus was here on the earth, then I could have gotten my healing. Yet we saw, we see in a number of places that Jesus said, it's better for you that I go to my father. Well, if healing is not just as available for the sick now 
as it was when he was here on the earth in his three years of earthly ministry, then it can't be better for the sick. Yet Jesus said that it was. It's better, expedient for you to go away. For me to go away, Jesus said. For then the comforter comes. What did the comforter come for? Well, one of his main jobs is to watch over God's word. To bring it to pass. So when were the lepers healed? They were healed when Jesus spoke the word. When did their healing show up? Sometime later. We don't know how, how long. We don't know what kind of delay there was. But if that delay had been years, the word of God would still have been true. From God's perspective, healing has already been accomplished. Amen? I know there was a, a story I read about John G. Lake, how that when he came in, from a ministry trip, actually he had to be sent for because his son was near death. And he came into the hospital, took him some time to travel there, and his son had been in the hospital for many days. He came into where the, um, uh, his son was in the hospital, and they were trying to take care of him as best as they could, but he was still very close to the point of death. Some of the doctors said it was a miracle that his son was still alive by the time his father, John G. Lake, got there. And he said this, he wrote about this in, in uh, one of his books, or these were his notes that were uh, compiled together into a book. He said, I came in and I knew the, flash, the flashing lightnings of heaven were available to me. He said, I laid hands on my son, commanded him to be healed, and almost instantly the fever left him and he recovered. Almost instantly. Well, several years went by. And he got another call. He was in another part of, the, uh, of South Africa. And he was notified that his son was near death again. I don't know if it was the same condition, the same sickness or whatever. Came back on him and tried to attack him. Or if it was something new. But at any rate, in both cases, he was near death at the point of death. And so Lake did what he could to get there as quickly as he, as he could. And he got there. And his son was in a semi-conscious state, comatose condition, I guess we would describe it as. And he said this. He said, this time there were no lightning flashes from heaven. I didn't sense any power. I didn't sense any ability from God. I didn't have any direction from God. The God didn't speak to me and tell me what to do about the situation. He said, I sat down in my hotel, in the hotel, the uh, hospital room, right next to my son's bed. He said, and I said, with all the determination of my being, Okay, Mr. Devil, take him if you can. Lake said he sat there for three days and three nights at that bedside, never praying a prayer, never speaking a thing, just the determination of his will because he knew what God's word said. And after three days and three nights, his son awakened from the coma, never had another problem. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did he deal with the two situations differently? His son's at the point of death in both cases. And maybe we should go even further. When was his son healed the first time? When he got to the hospital and declared healing over him and laid hands on him and the power of God went into him? Or is it like the Bible says, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes you were healed. What about the second one? 
He didn't pray. He didn't speak the word. He didn't do anything except sit on the side of his, his son's bed, knowing his authority, and said to the devil, take him if you can. See, Lake knew he couldn't. Lake knew the devil didn't have enough power to overcome his authority as revealed to him in the word of God. Well, what about for you? What about for me? Are we going to be healed? Or have we been healed? See, the direction you're looking at it makes all the difference in the world. So many times people think they're in faith and they're looking at the future for something to happen to affect their healing and their cure from whatever disease they're afflicted with. But the Bible says that Jesus took upon himself stripes on his back at his crucifixion. And with those stripes, you were healed. The Bible says Jesus has already paid the price. Well, if that's true, then there's no additional price to pay. There's nothing for God to do on his end for you to receive your healing. I know of many stories that Brother Hagin would tell about trying to school people in faith and help them and encourage them in their faith. And he'd ask them questions. He'd say, will you do what I tell you to do? And many times people would say, well, I will if it's easy. I think everybody's looking for something easy. And sometimes standing in faith is the furthest thing in the world from being easy. But even in the hard places, even when you're being attacked by the enemy, even when he's bringing thoughts of doubt to your mind, just like he did to the children of Israel, the 12 spies and the children of Israel in Numbers 13, even when you're being bombarded with questions, as far as God's concerned, it's already done. And it's possible for you and I to come into that place that Hebrews 4 speaks of entering into rest, an abiding place where there are no more questions. Doesn't mean you know the answers to everything. Doesn't mean you have any idea how it's going to work or how God is going to honor his word or what's going to take place or when it's going to take place. Doesn't mean you know the answers to any of those things. But it means you've come to the place where you're not subject to any further questions. I believe it's true because of what the Bible says. God has spoken his word. The only question is, is his word good? And folks, that's what every attack of the devil boils down to. When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, he questioned the integrity of God's word. Has God said? Has God said? Do you think he really meant that? Has God really said this? Every attack that I've ever experienced of the devil has come down to one thing, and that is, is God's word true or is it not? We which have believed to enter into rest. Once you settle it, once and for all, the word of God is true no matter what it looks like, no matter how I feel, no matter what the doctor says yesterday or what the doctor says tomorrow, the word of God is true. That's an abiding place that always receives. It always receives. We which have believed do enter into rest. And we've got the same spirit of faith that God created the worlds with. So that's why we can rest. God has given us a measure of the, his own kind of faith. 
It works the same way for us as it works for him. It may not work as quickly for us as it did for him because we don't have the same measure. But it works just the same. And it will produce results. We which have believed do enter into rest. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we're going to have to stand against worry. That place of rest is a place where you've conquered worry. Now, how do you conquer it? Do you conquer it because you feel strong? No. Feeling strong doesn't have anything to do with anything. You conquered it because you've settled in your mind once and for all. God said it, so it has to be true. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but when patience have its perfect work, you'll be perfect in entire wanting or lacking nothing. That's what that place of rest looks like. It's a place where you count it all joy. Oh, thank you, Father, for the privilege to stand against this sickness, against this disease, for the privilege to conquer it through the work of Jesus. That's what that place of rest looks like. That place of rest is not a hand-wringing place. It's a place where we've decided and we've determined. As far as we're concerned, God's word is true. As far as we're concerned, it's true because God said it. No matter what it looks like, no matter what we feel. It's true because it's the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to stand upon your word. I remember Brother Hagin saying many years ago, when I was just coming into the knowledge of the truth, how sorry he felt for people that have always had it easy. I didn't feel that way, Lord. And the reason I didn't feel it that way was because I wanted it to be easy for me. But now I understand what he meant. What a privilege it has been and is now to stand upon your word. Even though your word is contradicted by every circumstance, And everything that's going on around us. What a privilege it is to stand upon your word. And prove you faithful. Lord we believe that Jesus took our infirmities. And bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we were healed. So as far as you're concerned. Healing is already done. We take sides with you. We say father that according to us. And as far as we're concerned. Healing is an accomplished fact. So we thank you, Father, that as we speak to our bodies, we call our bodies healed, we call our bodies well. As far as we're concerned, we believe that we receive our healing. And that settles the issue. Lord, we thank you for watching over your word to perform it and for making it good in our lives, whether in an instant manner or over a period of time. We shall not allow time, the passage of time, to keep us from believing. We declare that it shall be unto us even as we have believed in Jesus' name. We worship you, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We magnify your holy name, Lord Jesus. We thank you for bearing our sins and carrying away our sickness. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, 
for lifting the burden off of our shoulders and taking the yoke off our necks. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. We thank you, Lord, for redeeming our lives from destruction and crowning us with loving kindness and tender mercy. And finally, Lord, we have faith in you. We exercise the God kind of faith, the same spirit of faith that you created the worlds with by believing in our hearts and saying with our mouths. We declare, as far as we're concerned, it's done. Thank you, Lord, for making your word good in our lives and in our bodies. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. We which have believed do enter into rest. You know, Jesus said in talking to his disciples, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. If you're under some heaviness about sickness or disease or about any other area as well, it's not a burden that God's given you. It's one that you've taken on yourself. Probably through the influence of the enemy. But it's still you, not in him, not God. So you need to unload that burden. Be anxious for nothing. Put aside worry. Put aside fear. And rest in God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. I think we need to worship him just a little bit more. So as you're standing, let's just lift our hands toward heaven and thank him for his goodness. Folks, it's not some fairy tale that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. It really happened. It was a real literal moment in time that the work was done so that you could be free. Oh, we bless you, Lord Jesus. We magnify your name. We exalt you as our Savior and as our healer. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. We yield ourselves to you, Lord, and we stand upon your word. We count it done in the name of Jesus. Healing is ours. It's not going to be ours. It's ours now. Lord, your job is to raise us up, even as your word says. Our job is to release our faith and hold fast to it. And that's what we choose to do. We love you, Father. We love you for your goodness and your mercy unto us. We thank you that you're gracious unto us, full of compassion. Your tender mercies are over all of your works. We magnify you, Lord Jesus. We say healing is ours now. We say we were healed by the stripes of Jesus, and so we are healed now. We thank you for making it good. For bringing your word to pass and for making it good in our lives and in our bodies we rest in you Lord we lean back upon you and rest in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name hallelujah hallelujah thank God the work is done Amen. Amen.
You know, it's the simple truth of the word that puts you over. It's not great teaching. It's not great preaching. It's not great oratory skills. It's not a mental exercise. It's the simple truth of the word that puts you over. And the simple fact is, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes, you were healed. That's the simple truth. That's the simple reality. That's the eternal reality that will never change. The work is done. Say it with me. I believe I received my healing. And I believe it shall be unto me even as I have believed. Thank you, Father, that I am healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. We're standing in agreement with you.